Let's see if I remember how to do this. Episode 383, Lopez Radio. Um, we're back with uh, with yet another original, original guest to the show. Um, hasn't been on in a while, but uh, I'm really pumped to have him back. He's a Southern fiction writer, the Rolson McCain series, Suicide Blondes, and his latest, Not Dark Yet. It's uh, it's T. Blake Braddy, everyone. Hello, hey there. Hey, How's buddy. Doing out there? How's it going, man? Dude, good to see you. Uh, if you want to follow this guy at Blake Braddy on Twitter, as long as Twitter is a standing structure. Um, <laughs> it, we, I might be operating in the burning embers of Elon Musk's vision. <laughs> it's been weird to watch this whole thing crumble down, but uh, yeah, for now you can reach him there. Um, and then, like I said, all of his books are available uh, electronically physically in some in some fashions uh just look them up amazon man amazon t blake braddy um it's it's all out there i am i am um i am a cog in a much larger machine that is destroying everything that we hold sacred (laughs) uh in in a way we all are though like that's the thing like i I do a little bit of streaming on twitch and that's owned by amazon like I'm doing my part to fill their pockets with uh, with my sweat and tears, kind of like their warehouse workers. It's great. I don't get that much back. <laughs> no, no, it's you. You are only working to their benefit. And um, recently, I found out that they were rolling out a new feature. And tell me that I mean, this is something. This is something Orwell couldn't even have thought up. Uh, that I. I was just looking at my books. I just check them every few days, look at reviews, look at the whatever my uh, author page. And it was only showing two books and it was the two worst selling books. And I was like, where are the rest of them? And I had Kate look and it was the same. It showed two different books to my wife. And I called Amazon that Monday and they're like, oh, oh, no, it's. It's not a bug. This is this is a new feature, buddy. We're what we're going to do is. um we're just going to, whenever you search for an author, we're just going to show you the book that we think you're going to buy. Mm, they're going to algorithm yeah. you. They're going to give yeah, you the old so, algorithm. And I, I was furious and I argued with a human being for like 10 minutes saying like, do you realize how crazy that sounds? What, whatever happened to people? Do you not know that people look for books and they, they see something else? They're like, Oh, I like this better. From this author that I love. And um, by the end of the conversation, the guy was like, I completely agree with you, but I can't say that. <laughs> so that probably guy's probably been fired, but they've since restored my account to the way it was. I think it was a really unpopular feature. Yeah. It just is c- completely insane to think that they would just show you the thing they think you would buy. I got to know you. Yeah. And I got to think that you were not the only one. They probably fielded that call no less than a few hundred times because, I mean, it's not just you. It's big authors. It's also all the other independent authors like some for some people. That's their only means of getting their work out there, you know, um, and I got to imagine that it's hyper frustrating, you know, yeah, hyper frustrating. I'm a member of a few writer circles on Twitter and let them know it's what and they had said the same thing. It's just really crazy that, and it, it makes you realize that all of our eggs are in a single basket. And if Amazon suddenly decided they wanted to do something spe- that like changed the whole way that they do things that you are stuck mm. 
because it's just really the only game in town at this point. You can go wide and use different platforms, but you're not going to get the same push from Amazon. It's just we are in their pocket uh, if you try to sell things through them. And it's 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 nuts. It, I panicked for a full day about it. Yeah, I got to like, And it's tough, especially when like you are, you know, you're trying to get like get your stuff out there and, and do you work so hard on something that someone who just happens across you might not even see. Right. And like you yeah. said, they might dig it and they, they don't get to see it. So they'll never, they'll never know. Like what's the chances they're going to come back to your page. You know, it's nil. It's very, it's like, cause you've, you've done all the analytics on like click through rates on newsletters and stuff like that. We've talked about that before and it's just getting people to click on your thing is so hard to do. Cause there's so many things to click on, you know, there's so many things to click on. And uh, yeah, that's got to be hyper frustrating. I'm glad they changed it back for you. Yeah. I mean, Amazon can log how long you look at things and how long your eyeballs are on it. And they can judge whether or not they're going to serve an ad of yours to someone based on that. They can throttle your ads if your ads aren't selling. And then they can penalize your account. If you if you create enough Amazon ads that get impressions but not clicks or sales, they just won't serve your ads and your book becomes essentially meaningless and just non-viable it's terrifying i i kind of have that the rolls mccain books i i think i have pushed it in front of enough readers of say james lee burke or daniel woodrell the guy who wrote, wrote winner's bone that's kind of the the milieu of my books i pushed that series in front of that audience so much that they they barely will serve ads to that keyword. So it's one of those things where it's like, that's, that's my bread and butter, man. If you're not going to serve ads to those people, it's going to really hurt. And it's, so I've had to go back to sort of mixing because I'd, I'd gone all in on Amazon ads this year because of the things that happened with Apple and Facebook last year, where they wouldn't allow Facebook to track across apps and blah, blah, blah. I don't understand that, but I went all in on Amazon ads this year. I spent a ton of money trying to figure it out, wasted a lot of money figuring it out. And I'm kind of getting my, feed on it but with some books i'm just having to go back to facebook ads and try to work back into that system because amazon if your book is not currently selling they will not push it at all and you just have to find a way to get some it's the catch-22 of you have to find a way to sell some books before they'll try to sell some books how far do you loop back like how long how long ago did boogie house come out that was what year it came out on december 12th no, December 13th, 2014, 12, 13, 14. So how, I remember that. how, 12, 13, 14, that's a good way to remember mm -hmm. it. Uh, so how, how long, how often do you loop all the way back to the beginning when you're pushing things out or do you just kind of keep yourself in a tighter circle of saying like, what do you mean? So when you loop back to push like the McCain series, do you now push it as a, as a whole set? Um, or do you push it? Do you push individual books? Like how often are you going back? To, to push those versus like from an ad perspective to push those versus something like, you know, uh, not dark yet. Well, uh, book house, boogie house is, uh, the, it's kind of a loss leader. You, I spent a lot of money putting that in front of people, mm. uh, and the hopes that there will be high read through. And so I spent a lot of money putting boogie house out there. And then I'm, a, I write under a pseudonym, a nom de guerre, uh, a horror series. And, it's in a really niche genre. And so I pushed the first book of that one to get read through. And right now I'm running 
an ad for the first book. I made it free for a week and it's doing gangbusters. So the hope is that I'll get read through on those other books. That's really how you that's how authors are able to make a book free in a series. It's really hard to sell standalone books because the margins are so thin and you have to really know your genre and your audience and who's going to buy it and where you're not going to get clicks. And it's not like with my horror stuff, I can't just put Stephen King in there and expect to get any clicks because, you know, independent author, you have to like my niche is extreme horror. So there are a few extreme. I'm not, my books are not extreme horror. They're not the sort of, there are authors out there who are really gross out fanatics and we can talk off air about some of the books I've read that are just like, I can't believe someone would publish this. And, but people will buy my horror books that read that stuff. And I, I read it myself, but I'm not, I don't publish in it. I don't have the, the, the cojones to do that. What are we talking? Something like endurance or something like that? Are you talking about like gross like that? Are you talking about Jack Kilborn? We're, we're going for, so there's an author named Matt Shaw. Okay. And Matt Shaw is his books are, it's basically like a parental advisory sticker on the front of his books. It's like, (laughs) if you can be triggered, do not read these. And that's a huge selling point is he, the, these books will go as far as they want to, because people want that. I mean, sure. There's a guy named John Athan. Jonathan is his name. And <laughs> he wrote a book called night of the prowler that I think it's night of the prowler or something like that night of the stalker. And it just, it goes so far and lingers on these horrific details for so much that even I was, I had to put one of his books down. It's like, I can't do this. Mm. It's, I mean, it's some pretty grim stuff. Yeah. That like, have you seen Terrifier 2, the new Terrifier? Not yet. I have some friends that have, and they're like, they're like, man, it's amazing. <laughs> You're like, uh. it's, so as a, as a movie, it's for me, it's pretty subpar, but as a piece of splatter punk it's up there as far as, as far as how far it will go. And this is like that. There's a book. So the other author that I really rep from this genre is Duncan Ralston. And he wrote a book called womb at W O O M, but it take all of the connotations of that word, uh, the way that you will. And it is a morbid twisted, but beautifully written book. And so and there are some dark long story short. It is, there are some dark corners of the internet. If you really, if you really want to find them. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, I, uh, I mean, I've dabbled in a little bit of that stuff, but nothing super extreme. Like, I'm sure we can talk off off air about some yeah. of that stuff for sure. I don't know if it's something I want to be like, I'm putting my name next to this. <laughs> and I want everybody to, when you look up my name, you see that stuff. But yeah, I mean. My name's T. Blake Braddy. <laughs> you want to listen. I endorse <laughs> this stuff. Like, you yeah. know. Just we'll we'll talk off air about it, but it's sure. I mean it's extreme. And the one of the newest books I'm reading is uh, called Gross Out by Duncan Ralston, and that's precisely what it is. It's a it's said it's a it's a satire of 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 um the way that people want to curb literature and say what you can and can't read. And so it's a story about a horror convention that has a gross out contest. It's very much like Stephen King um, from 
you, the, the story at the circus where the guy pukes on everyone. Sure. And they start throwing up. What is that from Stand By Me? The boom, baba, boom, baba. I, yeah, I, I remember it. I just, contest. Yeah. So it's very much that where it's how gross can it get? Mm. And it's to make a point. And I'm I'm not a free speech absolutist, but I am a person who's like, I don't see if I don't see books harming people. So if you want to write something and people want to read it, by all means. Right. For sure. I mean, and, and like you said, there's there's always the tiny little little pockets of people that just that's what they want. That's all they want. They love just like there's people who want trashy romance novels. That's all they want. I mean, but so it's funny that is, that is the, so (laughs) there are some amazing new niche genres. You say like people want trashy romance. That is such an outmoded idea because now if you go to the Amazon top 100, people will put books into, this is another piece of like Amazon stuff. People will choose a, 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 category for their books so that it will be guaranteed to be in the top 100 so it'll be seen and it won't necessarily fit the genre so there are these books now and one of the subgenres in in science fiction is it's an in like alien harem books and so it's about women who fall in love with aliens mm. and, and it's about being like a concubine of an alien whatever conqueror well it's out there and you know there are uh uh, erotic novels about cars and dinosaurs i'm not kidding and (laughs) if these people have like 1500 reviews on amazon it's wild yeah and and i'm not here to 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 book kink shame at all yeah i'm not kink shaming i'm just saying it's there and it's you know if you have the problem with is like to be uh involved in that genre to be an expert you have to have knowledge of it. you can't just say like i'm gonna write an erotic thriller about cars today like, you have <laughs> to know the ins and out in the genre uh because i had so i write under a third name and i had a completely failed experiment to write some lit rpg so stuff in, like books inside of video games uh, or characters inside of video games and what i was actually writing was a, a cyberpunk novel and i didn't do the attributes correctly and the first day i release it i got a lot of sales but then the next day i got a two-star review from a guy who's like this is not a bad book it's just not lit rpg two stars and that just completely killed the book yeah just it died like it died that day because people wouldn't buy it because it was mislabeled so i i like recovered it and it just never so it just kind of completely killed that whole aspiration of mine was to write these kind of you know, in the era of uh, of Ready Player One, it was around all that Ernest Cline stuff. But yeah, uh, people, you have to completely know your audience to get into any of this stuff. Right. Even if it's, you know, dinosaur sex. Right. You almost have to just specialize like when you like like on something like Twitch, like you play a game that you're good at so that you can, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, you know, in kind of that respect, like you you play a game you're good at or something, you know, really well so that you can speak to it. And, and the audience can really connect with you on your love of the game, right? That's why main games work for people on Twitch. That's why, you know, you see people who play the same game for forever because they just know it backwards and forwards. And, and that's, and that's where they kind of find a common ground with a lot of people. So it, yeah, I, I can see it being like that. 
I can see how you can get lost. Like try like let's try this genre out, and you were like, I shouldn't have tried that genre out. I should have. Uh, yeah, should have stayed yeah. in my lane. <laughs> I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I don't. I've kind of given up on video games, and it's because I've become obsessed with chess. And I get sometimes I I, have, I get I'm really into it, and I spend a, far too much time playing and studying and all of that related to chess. But sometimes I stop and think I'm playing a board game. I am. You know, I want to put my hand through the wall because I've lost a board game, you know, because right. chess can be one of those things where chess has reached this level where people think of it as a mark of IQ and intelligence. It's really not. It's a game of memorization and patterns. It's really no different than um, guess who. Right. You know, you're just trying to figure out what the patterns are so you can. You know, and that's all chess is. It's not you don't have to be brilliant to play chess. You just mm -hmm. have to put in a lot of time and study. And uh, it can be, yeah, that's my main these days. And I've thought about th the problem is I'm not good enough to have a channel that people would watch to say, like, look at this guy play chess. But I've thought about creating a channel for beginners who are learning how to play chess like me, who are kind of mid-level. I'm directly in the middle. They have, you know, the percentages whenever your your score in chess, they, it tells you where you rank among all the people who are on chess.com. And I am directly in the middle. Which is fine. And um, I've thought about doing that, but I don't know that there's a, an audience for that. Why, why would you watch someone learn how to play chess when you can watch Grandmasters? Right. There's a lot of access yeah. now, right? So it's like, it's Jeez. easy. It's easy to be like, oh, what's, what's this Grandmaster up to? Like, click on their channel. Um, but I mean, that's cool, though. You need that. Like, I feel like you need that stuff where it's like, not just, not just like, because you get, you get completely mired in the books you write and stuff like that. And I'm sure it's nice to have that outlet to go to. It's I mean, different. Yeah. Even though it can feel it's like torture so sometimes, I'm sure. <laughs> it is absolute torture because you, it, the, I've reached a point where I cannot play a bad game and win. And so it's really hard. I have to play really well to win and I'm not. And it's one of the chess is a game where you can completely go on. You can get the yips and go on a complete dry spell and I've lost a hundred points off my ranking this week. And it's, it's just a number and who cares? It's so stupid. But the idea that you're just not playing to the level that you know you can and where you think you should be, those expectations can really be frustrating. I don't know if that happens with you, with the games that you play or, you know, there is no, you usually with rankings, you don't lose with video games, you only gain experience points. You don't lose them. And you may gain more if you perform uh, better, but you don't lose points if you perform poorly. Yeah. Um, I, well, see, that's kind of, it's funny because I, you know, I play a lot of multiplayer games and mm -hmm. multiplayer games have that aspect of, yeah, you gain XP, but if you die, you just, you know, you respawn and you keep going all that stuff. Um, but I found that I get more frustrated with, uh, so I play a game called hunt showdown and they have, they have, uh, it's mostly a multiplayer game, but they have these thing called trials where they've set up, you know, kill this many zombies with this weapon and don't, don't receive any burn damage or anything like that. Um, and those frustrate me more because I know it can be done. And when I can't do it, I am like, why the fuck can't I do this? Like, uh -huh. <laughs> so I get so pissed, but like, in the multiplayer, like I don't rage at a multiplayer game. I think I'm more likely to rage at a single player game because I know it's possible to be done because it's a game that was built to be beat. 
And when I can't do it, right. I get really, really frustrated. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's and, like that. yeah. And I'm, I'm playing. So my, my regular rating, those are, so those are your normal chess games. You kind of take your time and play them. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm, I'm used to playing people who are on my level, but I also play blitz games, which are really fast or bullet get bullet games are one minute. So you get one minute each side to make as many, you know, try to get as close to checkmate as you can. And with those, people just kind of toy with that. So there, there's a chance that with a, a, a blitz game where I'm playing a three-minute game, three minutes each side, that I'm playing someone who is might be on my level or might be, you know, rated 15, double what I am or, or, or one and a half. And so I'm just going to get destroyed either way. And it's yeah. just the number of points you lose is the same either. Uh, whatever. Chess is really, it's killing me. And I just, I, this is really a, a call for help. Please help me stop playing chess. You ever, you ever uh, heard of a game called uh, Shotgun King on Mm-mm. Steam? Just look up Shotgun King on Steam when we get out of here. Um, it is essentially, they took a roguelite game and they smashed it together with chess. And the story is that the, 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 you are the you are the king on the black side of the board, and they have come and destroyed your entire kingdom, and you're the only one left. So it's essentially you going up against different iterations of white of white pieces. Um, they can all make the same moves, but as you progress through the levels, you can get these different modifiers that let you do extra things. But the, the, the all the differences is when you get close enough, you've got a shotgun, and you can just you can just like destroy the pieces. That's awesome. Um, but this essentially set up using chess moves to solve a, a puzzle that's already been pre-made, which is kind of cool. Mm. It's, it's yeah. a lot of fun and it might, it might give your brain a little bit of a break. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that about getting better at chess is it's all about, uh, you got to practice puzzles and look at those patterns. I, speaking of steam, I will have to look it up because I did, uh, last month or two months ago, finally get a steam deck. I, I Damn. got put on the. I put myself on the wait list two years ago. I think it might've even been before the pandemic. I was like, Oh, that sounds like a neat idea and got an email lo and behold a couple of months ago and got shipped to steam deck. And I've been tinkering with it a little bit. I've gotten into another uh, chess hole, so I haven't been playing with it, but it's a, it's a pretty neat handheld device. So wait, I don't have a gaming laptop or a gaming uh, computer right now. So having the steam deck is a perfect kind of mid-level thing. It, it's not quite what I expected, but it is a cool way playing some of the games. Yeah. And, and this game is, is pretty simply made. So it's, it's kind of got like that retro look to it, but, uh, with some modernization, uh, it would be perfect for the steam deck. It would absolutely yeah. be perfect for the steam deck. So I would definitely look that up because it kind of forces you to, to look at I think the we, the reason you'll like it is it'll force you to look at the moves in a different way uh-huh. because you're having to do them a different way in order to complete the puzzle or kill all the pieces on the board kind of thing. That's cool. Yeah, um, I like that. I'll definitely have to check that out. And yeah. it might be something I can show. Is it violent? Is it bloody? No, I mean, well, I mean, you're okay. you're you're shotgun blasting pieces into pieces, but I mean, they don't, yeah. there's no blood to it. Well, you know, I my day job, I it would be something I'd, I'd like to show to my students, but I don't know if it's something that I think necessarily I'd show them yeah i don't know i don't know okay once you play it you'll know i'm sure once you play it it's on that borderline right in these trying times um i I wanted to loop back to the to the book real quick because i just i I finished not dark yet i loved it thought it was great thanks man um 
uh, you know, and, and what I, what I can say about it is among all the violence and vengeance that goes on, mm-hmm. um, I, I was stuck so hard on the relationships like that you built between, uh, the main character Preston Wyatt and all the other characters. I thought it was really cool because I mean, you just kind of like, I even wrote them down. I was like, I was like, all right. So obviously the, the big relationship in this one that, that kind of is, is front and center is Preston and his brother. So the whole, the whole between him and Crawford, like that to me was, I don't know why I felt like it was written so well, but it was like, just, I don't know. It just, I had tinges of like, cause I don't have that. I have, I have a good relationship with my, with my brother, Joe, but like, so we're not as dysfunctional as Preston and Crawford are, Certainly not. <laughs> but like the, you know, the good, the good conversations between them and the joking between them was like, it just felt just like how I feel about my brother, which was really cool. Um, so you had, you had that. So, so I want to, I want to stick with that for a second because I feel like that was, I don't know if that was intentionally like the main relationship that you focused on, but, um, was that like informed by life experience or just, you know, just, just kind of how you wrote it. Um, yes, both of my brothers were killed in a, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, it, people always ask where do writers get their ideas? And sometimes it can be really simple, just an image. Sure. And I was in college, so this had to have been 20 years ago. And I was standing next to a pickup truck with my two older brothers. They're each 10 and 11 years older than I am. And, a storm was coming and I, I had this idea for a novel in that moment of two brothers fending off a coming darkness. And that's that, that was the beginning kernel of the story. And I knew Mm. I wanted to write a book about two brothers and the relationship between them and sort of them being the only link, keeping one another together and keeping each other from the darkness. The book title itself comes from a Bob Dylan song from time out of mind, not dark yet. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And that kind of informed the tone of the book. I'm a big fan of Cormac McCarthy. So um, this is my attempt at writing something that's about family and about the South. I tried to be as honest as possible with this book. And yeah, those two brothers are, they're not based on my older brothers, but they are, if that makes sense. Like they're, I think I think in every relationship there is always this tension between who we expect ourselves to be and who everyone wants us to be mm. and that's kind of the the thing I want to explore with Preston and Crawford and it just came out in this in this sort of there's always a a bad father that's one thing I've realized there's always like a bad dad in mm. in my books and this this is no different But yeah, I wanted to write something about family and something obviously violent. I love the books of Jack Ketchum. He wrote, speaking of extreme horror, he wrote a book called Red that was really affecting for me several years ago uh, when I read it. It's about a guy who he's by himself and he has a dog and these yuppies come and murder the dog out of meanness. And he tries to go through all the proper channels to... uh, get the local police force to just give them some sort of consequence. And they refuse because it's the, the family's a big mucky muck in town. So this guy has to do it himself. And it's very much in the vein of revenge stories. I'm a big fan of walking tall and uh, I'm rambling now, but I, I love revenge stories and I love 
stories about people who could make good choices, but are just, they seem just physically and emotionally incapable of, of just making the right decision at the right moment. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie hell or high water? Oh yeah. Oh, this, I I kept thinking about that movie during this book. Like it very much feel felt like that. Like, you know, two just two guys that you know are stuck with their legacy and where they grew up and all that stuff and just trying to just trying to fix the situation and or make it better right just trying to figure out a way to kind of break a curse right so to speak um yeah any any of that any my my biggest influences usually don't come from books they come from movies so the darker cohen brother stories um even raising arizona to to a certain degree has dark elements, dark thoughts about family and dark things to say about family, even though it's a comedy Miller's crossing uh, blood. Simple yeah. is another, their first film. And yeah, I, I love hell or high water, uh, wind river, uh, even bone tomahawk, all of those. There's a, there's a, a movie that came out last year. It's really problematic because it's got uh, Mel Gibson in it, but it's called dragged across concrete. No. Yeah. Dragged across concrete. Um, have you seen that no, movie? I have not. So there was a, the guy who directed, I think the guy who directed Bone Tomahawk. Have you seen Bone Tomahawk? No, I need to. Okay. Uh, Dragged Across, Con- Dragged Across Concrete. It's, um, it's, uh, Mel Gibson and, oh my God, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Owen Wilson and from Wedding Crashers. Vince Vaughn. Uh, Vince Vaughn. Okay. So they play cops who are. Uh, working undercover and it's just a really grim cop story. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. Oh so yeah. You should check out um, if you can get past the fact that Mel Gibson's in this movie. Sure. Which I can. Yeah, I can. I, I totally can. Um, he's, a, he's obviously an abhorrent person, but this performance is so good. And this movie is so dark and so unsettling for a cop movie. I loved it. And so, um, yeah, that stuff. I, I love, I love that kind of stuff. So this is kind of my representation of a lot of that. Um, and it yeah. is dark, but yeah, it felt, it, yeah, it was really, it was really cool. Uh, that, that seeing that relationship just because, you know, I, I like the stuff like hell or high water and, you know, mm-hmm. I've got brothers and like, it just, you just see, like, even if it's not 100% what your relationship is with your siblings, you can still see parts of that kind of flash, you know, um, mm-hmm. flash in and out of there. Um, the, the other stuff I was like, I felt like Preston had like all these sim like very symbolic relationships, like lost love with San with Sandra. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got his daughter, um, which that's something you and I know being, being fathers is like a really, you know, a really impactful, even just like the small conversations they have throughout the book. You're just kind of like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. I, all right. I'm done reading tonight. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I was, some of that dialogue is taken directly from things that Bo would say when he was, my son would say when he was two or sure. three, Yeah, just some of those, those moments. And yeah, it, um, this book is all about relationships. I've tried to write something that was more about the tone and less about the action. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of sit cause the horror books that I write, they're all about propulsing you through the story. They're all action-based, like kill this blood, that, story's over this one i wanted to be all about that feeling that mood and i was really i try not to read reviews but the the only real negative review i've got of the book um the the person who read it or wrote the review didn't quite understand there's a pivotal moment in the end of the book 
and obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but something huge happens in the very, very last few pages. And he was like, I don't understand why you would do that or why the character would do that. And I thought that I had planted the seeds throughout of how it was inevitable that the way the book ends ends. Mm. And so that I just that that's something I think about because I, I really tried to plant seeds throughout that um, that Crawford, the, the younger brother, that there was just something broken in him that no matter I want people to come away with the book wondering if anything could have fixed him if Preston had stuck around could that have fixed him but um yeah I think I think some of it too depends on how people read right like you can't help the way a person read and they're reading in comprehension Mm -hmm. right so like when 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 you know the thing happens like you're trying to like Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense because it, it made sense to me anyway, just in the way my comprehension works. So maybe that person's a speed reader. You never know. Like you just never know. And it's hard. I'm sure it's hard to kind of try to figure out and parse like, okay, well, what was, what did they miss that I feel like I wrote fine in there? It has mm-hmm. to probably drive you crazy sometimes. Yeah. Um, I th- I don't, I don't. Someone once said that what people think of the book that you wrote is none of your business. Right. And I think it's, that's generally very good advice. Uh, it's, it still just hurts sometimes when there are times when you're like, man, this person just completely didn't get it. But there are times when you're like, I, I see what you're saying. I just hate that you didn't, <laughs> that you didn't get the things that I put in there that I wanted you to see. But you know, that's, that's all in, that's all in the wash and um, the book's doing really well and people have responded really well to it. Um, you know, the impersonal nature of having it on Amazon is really hard because you don't necessarily get to hear a lot of feedback. Mm. And I don't have a big I I I have people who read the books, they review them, um, but I don't have a big network of people who are like, thumbs up, man, this is yeah. OK. So it's just hard because you just kind of put it out in the void and then people read it and review it. And you're like, I guess they liked it. I don't know. Yes, I guess I guess it's good. I, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, um, I do like, I did like the kind of the unspoken, it didn't have to be directly addressed, but like the, just in talking about Preston's relationship with his kid, right. And the way they talk to each other, you could tell without him saying it like that, he was like, I'm going to do the opposite of my dad. Like, yeah. And it was, it was really cool. Cause you could just tell by like, it was almost like he was having internal di- internal, like dialogue about, you know that were the almost the opposite of the conversations he was having with his kid on the phone. And yeah, he, yeah, he's, it's clear that he is someone whose father was an authoritarian and Mm. he is the opposite. He is the lax parent. He is the more forgiving parent. And I think that that relationship plays out in a, a lot of homes, Uh, especially it's, it's generational. Whereas it used to be when, you know, Preston's dad would have grown up in a house where his father was the strict disciplinarian and the mother was the forgiving force. Whereas I think today it's kind of flipped where the dad is more of the like, Oh, I can be, and then moms, and this is all stereotypes. So I apologize if I'm uh, triggering anyone, but you know, we are kind of allowed that this is kind of that breaking of the old school way of thinking about family, that it has to be dad is the strong gruff one. And mom is the sort of background scene and not heard figure. Uh, and so I wanted to play with that idea because, um, if there's a thread that follows through my books is that 
the modern South is, has a lot of the same baggage that the South has always had, but it's different. There is a new South. Progress has been made, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah. 100%. And you could tell, you could tell Preston's fighting that cycle, right? He's like, I don't want to be that to, to my daughter. Right. And that's like, I don't know. It's, it's just, it was really cool to see. Like I thought it was, I thought it was handled very well. And then, you know, the whole, you know, and then with all those relationships, so you have all those relationships with everybody involved, even, even, even his, you know, now separated from, you know, wife and all that stuff, like the, you know, all that, very familiar feeling type of relationships. And then ultimately just like with the Rolson McCain novels, in my, in my opinion, uh, a lot of, uh, inner demon Preston versus Preston, you know, mirror match, so to speak. Um, yeah. that, that, that inner, that inner monologue that's, go, that's a, constantly a going match on. with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like you can just, I don't know. It, it just, they have so many similarities. And I was th- like, at some point, at one point I was like, lumber junctions, like this weird rural Southern twilight zone place where I feel <laughs> like a you, really good way of putting it. I feel like you could almost do like a creep show type of anthology there where just <laughs> everyone has a little story. That's just kind of slightly fucked up. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, dude, the, it was just, it was excellent. It was, it was really, really Thank well you, done. Man. I appreciate that. I got way into it. Um, and of course there, there is lots of actions and violence, so have no fear. Yeah. Um, there are guns. Don't worry. Yeah, plenty of guns and plenty of use of those guns. Yeah. Um, people die. It's okay. So how, how closely would you say, cause I mean, I know some authors and we've talked about this in the past to get really close to their characters, right? Um, mm-hmm. how close did you get to Preston, uh, versus how close you got with Rolson McCain? Mm, ask that again in a different way. So what do you mean that? Like, so like, I don't know, I guess let's, let's see. How closely are they related as characters or maybe that, but like, just who were you, who were you more comfortable with? Like, obviously Mm -hmm. you've done a lot of Rolson material, but Preston is a Preston's character is a little more informed as to all the things you've done in the past. So did Mm -hmm. you feel like you, you put, you put Preston together a little better than Rolson or yeah, I'm definitely a better writer. Um, I think so Rolson McCain, the whole series was in, you know, it wasn't until I stopped drinking that I realized that that book was really about someone's cry for help about alcoholism and boogie house is really about my struggles with alcohol in my twenties. Um, and so I wrote that book when I was drinking heavily and I didn't publish it until I'd stopped drinking. And so just the parallels are really there. And so that, that's a really tormented book. And it's kind of like when Stephen King wrote Cujo and didn't remember writing a book about a monster terrorizing a wife and young son. And I think that that's a metaphor for how King's alcoholism and drug addiction were affecting him. So I think similarly, Boogie House and all the torment that that character goes through is uh, is, you know, is there. I wanted to write something. I think. What has driven me when I write is to write something that people don't expect. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And the Rolson McCain, I think, is a testament to that. I'm really proud of those books. But I think there is also an element of the further it gets in, the more sort of insane it gets. And I wanted it to feel like just this descent into violent madness, because usually what we have with book series is you have a character who they go through these things in each novel and kind of everything ends up okay. And then you have the next book and it's like, okay, here's another, how close can they get to get to get to death? 
but also just make it out of it and waltz out of the story. And with Rolson McCain, I wanted to take a story that is this sort of epic tale of someone completely being destroyed over the course of four books. And that's what happens to this character. Mm-hmm. And love it or hate it, that's really what I was going for. And with this book, it was I felt much more in control of the story and much more in control of the characters. The last third of the book, I'd say, uh, the last quarter with that giant shootout, that was me responding to that the middle episode, the middle episode of the first season of True Detective. Do you remember the first season of True Detective? Yeah, the big one, the big one, one shot, the big one shot. So yeah. that is my big one shot. And that's what I, I've always wanted to write that. Sure. And that's this is my attempt at that, because True Detective is a series I feel like was really in the zeitgeist for everyone talked about it. And then it just completely fell off the mind. I think season two really killed the mythology of that series. But that first season is phenomenal. Mm. And so, yeah, with this book, I, I felt just really more in control of the characters and the ideas. And it took several drafts. I mean, I had to fine tune some stuff and try to work on those relationships and decide if I wanted the book to end the way that it ends. And if I was comfortable with that, because there, there is a different version of that ending floating. around. And I, um, I just thought that that was regardless of what, you know, the, that, that one review said, I thought it was the most true way to end this book. And it's one of those things where I don't write for the sake of realism. I don't write what necessarily what realistically should always happen, but sorry, I think I always write what I feel like the truth is, if that makes sense. It doesn't have to be reality to be true. And I felt that this was the most poetic ugh, thing that could happen to these characters. And right. that's, that's where I went with it is I thought this is, this is how this ends. Even if this isn't necessarily the most realistic ending. Yeah. And not, and, and not dark yet. doesn't plan. You don't plan on making that a series, right? It's just, it's mm. a standalone. So was it easier? It. Was it easier from that respect then in that case where it's like, you're like, Oh, I know the end is the end in this one. I don't yeah, have to figure I mean, out how to carry I, this over. I kind of did the same thing with Boogie House. I burned it all to the ground and then kind of had to figure out how to turn it into a series. Mm. Because Boogie House is a book that can stand alone. And the rest of the series is a series, which is really weird. But yeah, it's easy. It's it's kind of nice to just set fire to one corner of a piece of paper and then just let it burn to ashes by the end. And I hope that I was able to build attention and make it kind of grow and every scene has a purpose and, and it builds toward this giant catastrophic ending uh, that if you really pay attention, you see it coming the whole time. That's what I was really looking for. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really well done. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Go, go pick it up. I will, I will certainly have, I will certainly have the link in the uh, description of the podcast and the video and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, dude, uh, really well done. Um, And just, looking through all the other stuff and all the other stuff I've read from you, uh, this one just felt really, really good. Um, thank you. Felt really good. Uh, I did, I did want to, I did not want to know about, um, a couple of the other things, suicide blondes and uh-huh. crystal queen and just how, what, how was it challenging? Maybe not so much with crystal queen because it was kind of like the lore was kind of already there from the Rolson McCain uh-huh. novels. Cause it's more of a novella, right? So, uh, right. but with suicide blondes, was it how hard, much harder was it to write from the female perspective? Well, it's, 
It, I mean, obviously really difficult, but sure. the way that George R. R. Martin says to write a character, the gender shouldn't matter. You just sure. write the most realistic version of a character you can, and the gender doesn't really. Sure. And I, I try to do that. And there, you know, there are lots of people who would say that it's insensitive to write from. At, I, I never would have imagined this growing up, but this is kind of the the way that people think about things that you should have sensitivity uh, beta readers and that sort of thing. And I, I see the value in that, but I've never, I've, I will not, ne- I probably will never do that. I didn't do it for Ralston McCain. Um, I had black characters. Um, I had, you know, all, I had trans characters in the Ralston McCain series, uh, gay characters. And so I just tried to be true to the characters. And, uh, you know, if I make mistakes, it's not out of m- malice, it's, it's ignorance. And so I think, I, I would like to think that people would give me the benefit of the doubt if sure. I got something that felt like, oh, this feels off, because the intention is never to be stereotypical. Um, I think I, you know, my wife is kind of my sounding board. And so if there was ever anything that I thought, uh, does this sound right? I would run it by her. And she's kind of just my sounding board. And I felt like I got it pretty well with Suicide Blondes. I'm working on another Nashville suspense. That's the next um, book I'm writing is a, another Nashville suspense book. It's called last hurrah. And it's about a bachelorette party that goes horrific in Nashville. And um, it's going to be dark. It just, I guess you, I, I sh- that should not be an adjective I use because I guess it's everything is dark. If everything's dark, nothing's dark. Right. Uh, but it's also a cast of female characters and they're all fundamentally broken with broken relationships. And so I don't know what draws me to that, but I think it's just seeing what people are made of when things seem on the surface to be okay. And this book is definitely that. Um, and so I, yeah, this is another stab at that sort of genre. Yeah. And, and with, with suicide blondes, it wasn't even like a, like for me, to me, it wasn't even like a, like, this is, I wonder how hard it is to write from the female perspective. It was more, it was more of a, I know like that you're very analytical about the things you do. Mm -hmm. And like, I didn't know if it was one of those things just from knowing you for years, if it were one of those things that you were just kind of like in the back of your hair is like, man, I hope this is right, man. I hope this is right. Well, and, and it's also balanced because the, the joy of writing is, is trying to zig where people think you should zag. Mm. And so trying to think about where the audience is and then taking a different tack and hoping that you're doing something the audience doesn't expect. So if you do something unexpected, it's very often not going to be, Oh, this is a stereotypical typical move or this is, you know, that oh, this just feels like another one of blah. Mm. So if you write something and try to be as different as possible, then it's, it, it doesn't run the risk of being too, uh, placid. You know, I read a lot of, I have a Kindle Unlimited su- subscription, and so I read a lot of independent books. And one thing I notice is that, especially with well-worn genres, there isn't a lot of time spent on trying to develop kind of the inner monologue of characters and who they are. And if they're, what sets them apart from other characters is just, can I make an archetype that feels true enough that I can murder them or whatever? Sure. And that I try to write characters first and plot second. And (laughs) 
one of my horror books. It's you know, it it's it's ironically it's my bestseller, but also my least well reviewed. Uh, but it's it's very much a character study that goes insane halfway through, and. A lot of the criticism of that book is that it, it moves too slowly in the beginning. I it, it's something I I kind of chafe at because I, it's written in the vein of Stephen King and just kind of really building up characters and giving all of the context before that you you want to know who these people are before you put them to the test. And so the lack of patience I feel like is something that it's weird to be someone who writes independently and tries to have an authentic voice and not necessarily write for a market. I don't I don't necessarily write books to say, like, here is one I can place here. So hopefully it will sell because this is what's really popular right now. Right. I just try to write the book that I want to write. And then if it, you know, the, for example, the one of the, the horror series that I write, it's a space horror series, which is a really minuscule genre. And it's really people. I thought people loved books set in space that are like aliens, you know, and that that genre is not as big as I thought. And I've managed to carve out just like the teeniest, tiniest niche of people who read it. But when I wrote it, I was like, this is going to be awesome. No one writes this. Turns out there's a reason that no one writes it because no one reads it. It's just so weird. And I wrote this big, grand three book series. And uh, it's it's just like, uh, but it was what I wanted to write. I love Bioshock. It's my favorite uh, video game. I wanted to write something in that vein. And um, so I wrote the series. But to circle back to it, I got a message a couple of days ago of someone who was like, are you going to write a fourth book to that series? Which means someone read it. So, yeah. Now, now you've got me. You've got my interest peaked. I need to read that now. Yeah, I got to so know. I will talk off air about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, man, I. uh <sighs> I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just really cool to read all this stuff and just like, just knowing, all right, yeah, I've hung out with this guy. I know this guy. It's just, <laughs> it's just really fun. Does, here's a question. Sure. Um, when you read these, do you hear my voice? No, I kind of, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I kind of, I don't, I kind of get, I kind of get lost after a while. Cause I think, I think at first, I think the first time I read like boogie house and then maybe you know maybe the next book but mostly mm -hmm. boogie house i was kind of like it may be a little bit your your voice was there mm -hmm. but once you kind of get invested into the into the characters it kind of that kind of like fades away so to speak so yeah it's hard because like imagine our friend will writing a book could you read a book written by will in anything other than will's voice no i don't think i could i mean i guess it depends on how well he wrote it but yeah i just imagine writing a, a, a Game of Thrones style novel and then not hearing his voice as he read it. <laughs> I'd almost pay for that to have him do it and then do the audiobook so I could listen to it. But see, here's the thing, like just because that's what we would expect, it would end up being something just out of the park. Like, just because that's the way he is. I don't imagine it would be bad. It's just yeah. so I could not have something from him because he is such a singular individual and not imagine it in his voice. It's just like it would have to be because he is himself and he is no one else. Sure. And, you know, anyway, it's just interesting to think about other people who know me reading the things that I write and wondering if it, if it echoes my speaking voice. I'm, I'm always like, what I get lost in is, is 
the way I picture either the way the character looks uh-huh. or the way a, a setting looks like, you know, uh-huh. the bar, the bar in lumber junction that uh-huh. Preston and Crawford get kicked out of several times. Right. It's, uh-huh. it's like they, they're, they've got like a, you know, they're very notorious right in this bar. And like, I have the picture of the bar in my head. It's just like, one of those uh-huh. it's just in my head it's one of those old square bars that you can walk uh-huh. all the way around uh-huh. and then there's just booths on the outside lots of uh-huh. shitty neon light bouncing uh-huh. off the wall and uh there's definitely the sound of billiards in the background right there's yeah. just, it's and and it smells like a bar like it just like and it's it's weird because in my head it's like it's like a mashup of like two or three bars that i know and uh-huh. it's it's just funny how your mind does that. Kind of like, kind of like in high school, right? When you've got friends that you want to hang out with or whatever from school, and then you guys like talk on the phone, and then like in your head you're picturing what their house looks like because you've never been there, like before you've ever gone to hang out at their house. Have you ever mm-hmm. done that? Where you're like, mm-hmm. you're like, ah, I bet they said of upstairs, course. so now you've just dropped an upstairs onto their house in my mind, and like yes. it's almost like building like The Sims. It's really weird. That is really weird. Can yeah. I tell you something really? stupid about the bar sure so that bar is this it's the same bar that's in the rosa mccain books virgil's is a mainstay in all those books and the reason that this is so stupid (laughs) this is this is what i thought of as smart okay So, so i named the bar virgil's because uh virgil is the roman poet who leads dante through the inferno in in Dante's inferno he is the guide and so i named i thought it would just be such a clever literary illusion because i was like this bar is his guide through his life it's the thing that pulls him through the rest of his life so i i, I made this really um sort of stupid college high-minded reference to Roman literature and, and, and Italian literature as if anybody would a make that connection or B care one iota about it. And it's just something that I've thought about. Anytime someone mentions it, it makes me think of how stupid that whole, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, I, I am obviously a good writer. I made a reference to Virgil's Aeneid and Dante's Inferno. Look at me. Let me cast this right over your head. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, I mean, as someone who is, I actually have read Inferno a couple times because I really liked it. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I did, so, it didn't even it's dawn so on stupid. me. But, who, who would think of it? It's the <laughs> dumbest thing on the face of the planet. Because I was like, oh, Rosen is going through his own seventh circle of hell. This is going to be, uh, oh, the person who figures it out. <laughs> it's just the sort of thing. And and that's that the idea of being immature as a writer that you think, of, you know, being a stupid English student like I was, sure. I thought making these sorts, that's how you really, you know, make a good book is you make really stupid off the wall references to things from literature that, you know, so when college students are dissecting this in 50 years, they're going to, yeah. there's going to be one that branches off. Yeah. yeah. That's uh that's funny, man. That's really funny. Like, it's almost like you want to do like a show, like the, the hidden gems of Lumber Junction. You just want to go. Yeah. I would love to reread that book and point out, this is a reference to this stupid thing. This is a reference to this stupid thing. Um, so yeah. Almost like an, right. like, like an audio commentary, like DVD commentary for the whole thing. Yeah. 
That's awesome though. Um, they, uh, yeah, I, I mean, just any of those settings, like you can just like the Mexican restaurant that they go to, like all that stuff, like you just picture it in your head. Like it's, I picture it's based on a real Mexican restaurant that uh, was one of the first dates I ever took a girl to in high school. Really? Really? Yeah. It's, it's a real place then. Uh, yeah. See it. See in my head, it was a, it was a, uh, a Mexican restaurant that I went to as a kid called mm-hmm. man Manuel's. Uh, that used to be here in town and uh, uh, it's gone now, but yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I have a connection to that. Okay. So Manuel's um, is one of the first restaurants I went to in Athens mm-hmm. and I, my first date came from a waitress that I met at Manuel's. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was a freshman in college and I thought this is the time to ask girls out. Like if you see a pretty girl, you should ask her out. And our waitress was beautiful. Um, I found out later she was from Puerto Rico and I was just uh, instant like, ah, Mm -hmm. because it was so different from my experience growing up in a small Southern town with, you know, and I left a note with my tip. I said, Oh my God. Oh no. I left a note with my tip and my number and she called. She like remembered me. I was like, you were really cute. And so we went to city bar and I was, I, I might've been a, a month over 18. Like I had just moved to Athens. So I had just turned 18. It was just like, I gotta, I gotta shoot my shot, man, whenever and wherever. And so Manuel's, I remember Manuel's very well. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, dude. That's, that's very much like that. Yeah, that's where yeah. I went as a kid. It's it's funny, just like what you what you grab, like and when you think about their like their their houses, like just all that stuff. I could do this all night because that's that's yeah. kind of what I do. I'm like, I'll sit back after I've read like half of a book, and I'm just like, look at all these weird places I've put together in my head. Like it just mm-hmm. it's like a weird like dream mashup when you're as so you're you somewhere you draw it. Do you think you could draw the things that you put in your mind when like when like I do the same thing and I'm always disappointed when I see a movie version of something and it doesn't match my internal uh, architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I always feel like that too. Like when you see a character come along from a book series, maybe you read and they show up and you're like, they don't look like that. Like, no way. I picture him looking like this and you can't get over it. Yeah. I, I've definitely been there. Cause my first, my first sort of uh, inspiration for the character of Rolson and his look this is going to sound so stupid, but this was of the time. This was, I wrote the first draft of this book in 2005. So I was, uh, 2004 or five. So I was still in college, uh, was Adam, uh, Adrian Brody. So like, I thought of like kind of slim detective looking person has dark eyes and could, you know, ha- carry the weight of that. And it's changed the mental picture, but that's who I wrote as the first version of Rolls and McCain when I wrote that book. You know, what's funny is like the, the, the Rolson McCain in my head almost has that look, almost has that look, but kind of, I, I can't even think of an actor he looks like, but he just kind of looked like, like just this skinny, tall dude with like shaggy hair that just mm-hmm. almost covers his eyes. So he kind of has to like flip it out of his face a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. when he's talking, like that's how I pictured him at all that's times. Funny. It's really weird. Yeah. It's really weird. Like I can picture, I don't even know the guy's name, but I picked, I can picture a guy from high school that I, that I kind of, <laughs> he was the placeholder I put in there. And I was like, he looks like this dude. Like, yeah, it's why I don't put a lot of emphasis on a character's look in a novel because I don't want 
I don't want to take you out of the book by saying something that, that sure. goes cross with what you think about. Yeah. Um, unless the emphasis is on, say, um, you know, their best friend who's six and a half feet tall and has a giant dog. Like I just that sort of thing. But I, I, I try to keep it pretty slim when it comes to features. And that's that's from Elmore Leonard's uh, book of writing. He says, never, never describe characters in too much depth. Right. And Stephen King kind of says that, too, that you should just never, never give people too much of an idea. And it. Yeah. And it. Unless it's like, I, I feel like the only time to do that is like right when the person walks in the door, like mm-hmm. when the person walks in the door of whatever you know, the situation is like, oh yeah, yeah, like a weird looking eye and blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. And then you let everyone fill that in maybe. I don't know. But yeah, you don't want to yeah. add details after the fact. Now, Deuce, Deuce looks like a young Ving Rames in my head. Yeah. Young Ving um, Rames. Um, so, uh, hold on there. I... Yeah, I think Ving Rhames uh, works. I I was think I always think of um, like a a taller and more muscular Bokeem Woodbine. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mm, I know the name. I can't picture it right now. He was. Did you ever see a movie called Freeway? It had Reese Witherspoon in it, where she plays Little Red Riding Hood, and it's a modern satire. And Kiefer Sutherland plays a serial killer who got shot in the face and is the the big bad wolf in that bokeem woodbine is is in so much he's in fargo like he's in a lot of yeah. stuff he's in a lot yeah. of stuff I, i'll be honest this is gonna sound funny this is how i pictured rolson's brother looking like <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> i pictured That's him fair. looking like that just like the kind of yeah. snaky just like sneaky looking yeah. dude you know yeah Kind of yeah, had that Bokeem like Woodbine is that's who I think of as deuce just like a bigger just like a bigger muscular bigger dude just yeah. a bigger dude that's awesome. Yeah. That's and I named Deuce after uh, the uh, this tells you how long it goes. Deuce McAllister was a running back for Ole Miss in the 2000s. I just thought that Deuce was such a cool name. Yeah. That that's why I named that character. That another really stupid. It's weird where the things come from that pop into your mind when, you know, you're writing a book. Yeah, where those where where do we call those from? Because I wasn't an Ole Miss fan, but that name just always stuck with me. Man, that's uh, that's insane. That's that's always funny to me too. Just like to talk to because because if if me and if me and the wife like read a book like read the same book, I'll mm-hmm. be like, what do you think so and so looks like? And we'll just sit there and compare mm-hmm. notes on like what we thought this and that looked like. Because I always mm-hmm. think it's funny how people's minds build build things because it's it is informed by stuff you've seen before because that's all you've got to right. draw from in your brain right even if it's a mashup of something but uh Correct. that's always cool that's always really really cool um would you ever have a tough time if if they uh if they were like hey we want to do a Rolson McCain like tv show like have you ever thought no. about it in that way that you like uh, I know I, who I want <laughs> no I don't care uh Stephen King says as long as the check's clear I don't care what you do with my properties <laughs> Um, and it's clear in the quality of most of the films that, uh, the filmmakers don't care that much either, but no, I've, you know, I, I think I would be lying if I said, I said, I didn't care whether or not something like that happened. I think it brings even a middling TV show can bring so much, um, attention to a book. Mm Mm-hmm. But no, I, I wouldn't care. I, I don't have any sort of um, like I'm not cute about that sort of thing. And I'm not precious about it. I 
if someone said we i would be flattered that someone wanted to do something um because you can't this is a singular vision and anytime more than one person gets into a room to make a thing for tv or maybe like it can go in a thousand different directions usually bad and so you i would have to let go that is it's one of those things from the serenity prayer uh Grant me the serenity to know the things I cannot change. Right. Courage to change things I can and the wisdom know the difference. I I couldn't control that. So I'd just be flattered. Uh and that that would be it. Yeah. You know that uh Chuck Palahniuk only got paid ten thousand dollars uh for the rights to Fight Club? Man. Highway robbery. Wild. Highway robbery. Yeah. But think of how many books he's sold since then. But still, it's wild to think that such a seminal text for my upbringing, he got paid ten thousand dollars for that. That's crazy. Um, and I, and two, I guess like, I guess from your perspective, I guess what would be more important is being like, can you at least get the essence of what I was trying to get across in the books mm-hmm. is probably way more important than who's playing, you know, Vanessa, Rolson. you know, or Rolson. Right. So right. I can't um, even uh, picture, picture somebody I would place in that, like that casting directors just have their work cut out for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, um, yeah. And, you know, more than likely it would turn in Southern things tend to go very poorly. Uh, as much as people like Midnight in the Garden, Good and Evil, uh, it's Clint Eastwood. It's still not a good movie. I like it personally, but the accents are really off putting. And um, what was the so the right wing politician who wrote the memoir, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, that movie was apparently an abomination. It, mm. it can go really sideways with Southern things or, or it, it I mean, that was not necessarily Southern, but that it, it can go real bad. Did you, you have to get someone? Who, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, no, I was just saying you, things like winter's bone is the, those are the, um, the exceptions and not the rule when it comes to Southern texts, like where the crawdad thing was just an awful soap opera of a film. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it's either all or nothing, right? So you can mm-hmm. see something like, while this isn't really super Southern, it's more Texan, but like we brought up Hell or High Water earlier, mm-hmm. like that is that is an example of it done really well, right? It's all subtlety. It's not like, woo, everything's bigger here. Like it wasn't anything like that. It just had everything to do with those two characters. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get to watch much of it, but uh, what was that? Michael K. Williams was in it. Happen Leonard, does that sound right? Yeah, so that's but yeah, it's the Joe Lansdale. Um, that's mm. one of my uh, so in the industry they call them comps. So books and series that are kind of like yours, I get some traction with the the Happen Leonard books. Joe Lansdale, he's a great writer. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that it, it can it you know it's anything that's regional in nature. It, I think the South has a particular obstacle and barrier to entry because people have a perception. And so if you try to do things with subtlety, a lot of times people are like, wait, that's not Southern. And you know, (laughs) it seems like I care about this a lot, but it just popped into my head. The review, uh, the, the really negative review of, of not dark yet. The guy was like, this is not how uneducated people speak. They don't use words like, and that's another one of those things that I think uh, it's kind of damning it with faint praise, but it's, 
I don't care how people are supposed to talk who are uneducated. Like I'm writing, I write the characters and I write how they talk. And I don't, it's one of those things where it feels truthful for them to, them to say it, even if it isn't realistic for them to know those words, because it fits the whole milieu of what I'm writing and I'm going for, you know, an educated sort of thing. And, um, it can be lost on people. If everyone who is Southern is not just like a hick. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that that's, it's it just seems lazy if that if everyone's a hit because you have like so what comes to mind uh did you ever did you watch knives out did you watch knives out yes what comes to yes. mind is uh, is is the detective in knights and knives out and you're kind of like all right foghorn leghorn is like yes. killing me here or um tom hanks in the elvis i haven't seen the elvis movie yet Mm-mm. so um colonel tom parker so Elvis's manager was a guy named Colonel Tom Parker and he and Tom Hank, Tom Hanks plays him very much in a foghorn leghorn sort of way. But Colonel Tom Parker, I believe was Dutch mm. and not Southern. And so this whole time you get this really outlandish accent that just, I mean, Tom Hanks has a history of bad Southern accents going back to Forrest Gump, but it's just so weird that this is what people think the South really is. And it just, I guess we've earned it in a lot of ways, you know, George Wallace and the like, but it just, there can be subtlety even in ignorance. And so I think that gets lost on a lot of people. Yeah. I I think that's just the case. It just feels, I don't know, like they, like almost like a, a, like a weird call on the producer's part. Like, yeah, he needs to be a hick. Yeah. He was never a hick. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't I, I think that you can have I just I don't I don't like uneducated characters. I, I think that uneducated characters who don't have anything interesting to say tend to be dull on the page. And like, why would you write that? Mm. So I've never written that. I've never thought that was interesting unless you do it in a really brilliant way, like um, Peter Sellers and being there where he's just kind of this secret genius. Right. <laughs> So, um, so we, we talked about the books a little bit and usually I lead off the podcast with this lately anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. but since I wanted to get to the book stuff first, but I usually just say, just ask what's, what's been on your mind. What's like, what's, what's top of mind right now for you in, uh, in life, in whatever. I, um, it's not good. It's not good. Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) What? I mean, we're living in the ash heap of American history at this point, and uh, it's just not good. But we always kind of go down this political route, and I don't know if we need to. I read right before we started recording, this is uh, Tuesday night, that Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump is going to announce his candidacy for 2024 tonight. And so I really hope that that's not happening, that that was just a really ill-informed writer for The New York Times, Peter Baker. but, you know, it's just constantly having this push and pull with what I think America is and what it actually is. You know, I think about that a lot. Mm. And, it, you know, I, in writing, I try to give dignity to the people I grew up with and where I came from, because I think there's a lot of dignity there. But every day it disproves it <laughs> from what I see in here. Um, I'm really I, I mean, really to, to try not to get into that too much to because I completely burned out on politics. And so I've kind of given up on it. 
and um, I am all in on uh, I listen, read and watch everything college football. And so I've just that that is where my interest is, because it is I. I started going to therapy this year, and one of the things that my therapist talked to me about was my propensity to dwell on things that are not good for me. <laughs> Imagine that. Right. And she was like, you think entirely too much about death and fear of dying and all of that stuff, and you can't control it, so you should not think about it. Or like, I listen to a lot of really downer mopey music and so i stopped doing that even though i love mopey music mm. and it's it, it's kind of changed the way i think about the world and so politics is one of those things that i obsess about it because i know it's something that feeds my depression and um it's kind of like the uh old pat oswald bit uh, do you remember the bit where he talked about how his depression is like a dog that thinks it's going for a walk yeah yeah i do and so I think politics can be like that for me. And there are certain things that when I start going down that road, they it start the depression starts wagging its tail like, oh, he's going to get his slippers. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so I've tried to avoid those sorts of things. And I think it's really uh, my seasonal affective disorder has not been that bad this year. And so I think the, uh, the therapy has really helped because I've worked through some of the, you know, for lack of a better term, trauma I experienced growing up. And I it it really helps to focus on positive things and college football is not important, but it is good for my mental health. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, I honestly think that that's why sports are so big everywhere is because it's literally something that can, and for the most part can, can just kind of push everything else away because None of that stuff can be on the field, really. I mean, I guess it can in certain ways, but for the most part, like once the game is going, like there's no, there's nothing there to kind of veer off into those other avenues that tend to be dangerous mm -hmm. for your mind, right? Um, yeah. And it's usually like one of the only things that you can bring people of two different minds together on, right? Like there's definitely people I don't agree with about most things in life, but there's certainly, you know, we're certainly able to sit down and watch a game and not, not yeah. talk about that stuff. That is my Twitter feed is it's people. I generally, so being a Georgia fan means that I disagree on politics uh, with 99% of the fans. And so that's, I just ignore that stuff. I'm like, okay, there's someone I follow on Twitter and she is a great Georgia follow, but every, every once in a while, there's just something that, pops into my feet i'm like i'm just gonna pretend like you know, <laughs> like, I'm yeah. pretend like that wasn't said i'm just i'm just walking right past that so that's kind of it and you know i i read this series of books uh self-help stuff I'm, i know that it's uh but jen sincero wrote a series of books uh you are a badass and they really, really helped me. And most self-help literature doesn't. It is written under the auspices of helping you, but it's really just whatever. Um, but her ideas about like affirming the self is they, it really helped. And so in flipping my switch from listening to, you know, really serious, sad alt country every day when I drive to work, I listen to ACDC at full volume and I walk into my job with the, in the best mood ever. Huh. It's so, amazing that can change the way you think about the world. 
Well, and there's something to be said about intro music, right? Like, you know, yeah. you're not going to walk into, you know, a, a brand new yeah. song or something like that. You're yeah. going to walk I, into something upbeat, something heavy, something to get you yeah. going, right? It's like the I walk into I walk into work like a Vince McMahon in that GIF where he's just like, yeah, swinging his arms <laughs> coming out coming out from behind the curtain, and it's it's really helped. You know, I I I have these because I've learned through doing therapy that the things that you tell yourself. Oh, the biggest breakthrough for me was, uh, you know, you said I'm very analytical and it's true, but the biggest change in my, in, in my development as a person over the last year is realizing that you are not your thoughts. Yeah. You can separate those two things and say, just because I think it doesn't mean I am it. Mm -hmm. And that took a long time for it to sink in because I would take a thought and I would break it down and say, why am I thinking this? Why do I feel about this? How do I feel about this thought? And go round and round until I built this, this thing up, this really negative self-reflection until it was really weighing on me. And at a certain point in my therapy, I learned, treat it like a cloud, like clouds appear, thoughts appear. You don't have to engage with every thought because, and, and I think that realizing that your brain's job is to produce thoughts. That's one of the many things that it does is, is, and just because your brain thinks the thing doesn't mean it relates to who you are and separating the conscious mind from the self is a real, that was like a, it's one of those like exploding mind things that I've, I've come to realize about myself. Well, and that that's good, man. Like, honestly, I think that there's, there's a lot of people, especially dude, it, it became especially apparent during the pandemic. There's mm -hmm. a lot of people who would benefit from that stuff, right? Going, going to therapy, going to, you know, even reading a book that would might help them out. Like, I feel like, I don't feel like there's really anybody that wouldn't benefit from it. There's just some people who would benefit way more. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've always been a big proponent of that, even though I haven't done it myself. Like, I feel like if you feel you need that, or even if you're just kind of like, do I need that? It probably means you probably need to at least go and try it out. Right. Like you need to go and see <clears throat> if that's what's gonna, what it's going to be. And like, and just because I've had several friends that, that have been in therapy and they're like, just because you don't like the first one it's like it's like any other relationship you're gonna click with some people you're not gonna click with others and therapists are no different you know same yeah and i'm in a weird spot because my therapist i really liked her and she told me our last session that she's leaving the service um that i use at the end of the year and it it revealed something i just immediately stopped like i quit therapy um because i was like Okay, she's it's an abandonment issue thing, which I probably need to talk to a therapist about. But she was like, you have worked through a lot of your issues because a lot of it was just things inside of you that you needed to get out and just say aloud um, and then maintenance on your mind and thoughts. And she was like, you you could go to once every two weeks or you could probably stop. You're kind of fine. And. I was just like, okay, once I heard it, I think she did the wrong thing in affirming the idea that I could just stop. Cause I was like, okay, good. That's saving me several hundred dollars a month. I'm cured. Um, I'm cured. <laughs> good. And I'll probably get back into it. If I, you know, have a crisis or something where I need to, like, if I go to a dark place, which I can sometimes I'll get back into it, but it was just maintenance. I would call every week and be like, everything's pretty good. I, have good days, I have bad days, but I have coping mechanisms. Sure. 
Sure, just like little little tips and tricks to deflect and mm-hmm. move into and something work. else. And, you know, I grew up in the sort of Bill Hicks uh, mode of thinking where, you know, he had a whole bit about like, I'm glad that my heroes are all dead. I, I feel like art means suffering and I want my guitars to bleed on stage, like that kind of stuff. And the older you get, the more you realize that's not healthy and it's not good. And maybe art is better when people are as close to their feelings as possible. But Stephen King once said that art is a support system for life, not the other way around. Yeah. Life is not a support system for art. And if you want to create art, that's fine, but it doesn't have to be something that you destroy yourself doing. You don't have to, you know, Nietzsche said, you don't have to look into the void and have it look back at you. Right. I've, I've, I've become okay with that. And I think, you know, my books are still sufficiently dark. So I've, I've found peace with the fact that I can still be dark and healthy, have a healthy mind as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's easy to get into those, uh, those existential, you know, type of moments. I think I do it a lot. I, I, I suffer from, from, from what if a lot, a ton. Yeah. So like, I'm just like, man, what if I had done this and I'll do like a, like, what if I had gotten into X, Y, Z at this time instead of when mm-hmm. I did? And like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because it's not, it didn't happen like that. And I can't, sometimes I get, can't get my brain to turn that off. You know, you know what would help you? What? Therapy. <laughs> I knew he was going to say it. It was, I knew uh, it was coming. Um, I think everyone could benefit from a month's worth of going once a week. And just if you can just say all of the things that you think traumatized you growing up and have someone react to it, because there were some things that I, oh, Donald Trump just announced he's running for president. Ha ha ha. Uh, yay. So, uh, and maybe I do need to go back to therapy tonight. <laughs> um, because there were some things that I that happened when to me when I was a child, and some of them the therapist was like, "Yeah, those were really not good. You <laughs> shouldn't have experienced those things as a child." But there were other things that I kept as these deep dark secrets that I thought this means there's something wrong with me. And I told her, and she was like, "Well, a boundary was crossed, and it was not okay, but it's not something you should be ashamed of." And so. That sort of affirmation really helped because I was like, okay, I'm not as bad as I thought. Like this, something happened to me and it wasn't quite what I thought it was. And I've been holding on to this. Being able to tell a complete stranger was hard. But also once I had let go of it, it was like, oh, it has no control over me, no power over me now. It's kind of it's it's kind of neat because like a lot of people don't understand that just just the simple act of talking something out is such a help. Right. And, and, and it probably helps even more when it's someone you don't know and in ways Mm, it's hard. It really is. And in ways it's probably way easier because there's no, well, I got to go see this person at work tomorrow, or this is, you know, the, you know, the, Mm -hmm. my, my significant other who I have to worry about judging or something like that. Not that, right. You know, it's just that there's weird stuff that you have to, you have to take into account. And anytime, like, Anytime I come across a friend, like having, having done a lot of podcast stuff online, doing a lot of streaming stuff, I've met a lot of people from different parts of the world and you know, you get, you, you get close to these people and you talk Mm -hmm. to them and like they, they maybe because, because it's kind of got that 
weird, like we've never met. You're not part of my daily routine. Some people just get comfortable in telling you what's going on with them because they know you're not going to be there the next day. Like, Hmm, what's up with you? Like you told me that right. thing last night. Um, and you know, I've got, I've got, I've got friends. I, I got a friend I'm thinking about right now. That's just like in a really dark place. And I'm just like, dude, I'm not a professional. Like I, yeah. I, I really think you should go talk to a professional. Um, yeah. and it's scary, but you know, you just kind of check in, but I'm like, I, 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 I do my best to kind of throw Cause I think it's, I think it's easy for some people to be like, Oh, well I opened up to you about this and now I can lean on you about it. And I try to keep mm-hmm. that from being, I think I'm like, look, I'm not a professional. Like, I care about you. I worry about you, but I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you, you know, when you're feeling that way, you know, and it's, it, it can be scary, you know, cause it's someone you've known yeah. for a long time and you're like, well, I don't want you to hurt yourself, dude. Like go talk mm. to someone, please. And you yeah, know. it's well, and a lot of times we seek, uh, some form of favor from our friends because we want them to affirm something for us or tell us what we want to hear. And so we're angling. And so we tell, we tell our friends a version of the story that will get the result that we were already thinking about. And so that is, I mean, it's subtle manipulation, but that's what happens, especially when you're in a dark place, you look for an Avenue that you can manipulate the situation. So you get what you want, even if it's a self-fulfilling negative prophecy, like, if I say it this way, then they'll say this, which means that I get what I want, but actually it's the thing I don't need, you know, and your brain is really smart when it comes to that stuff. So having someone who's a professional who can set boundaries with you and say what needs to be said is really powerful. And yeah, I think everyone would benefit from, you know, I, even people who have phenomenal upbringings might have something that is lingering there that they might, maybe not. I mean, maybe I just, come from a world where everything is um terrible but i think everyone will benefit from going and speaking to somebody having a few sessions and just purging all the stuff that you think about that you're like does this mean i'm broken you know that sort of stuff yeah and i think there's a lot of folks and I, i even include myself in this like where it's like i don't it's hard to, it's kind of like looking in the mirror and not realizing you've gotten older, right? Cause you see yourself in the mirror every day. Like some of the stuff that might be problems, I just don't see them as problems. Like mm-hmm. they're just my thoughts, right? Like, so it's, it's hard for you to parse that. And then like to, to bounce off what you were saying before, when you talk to someone like a friend, like you unknowingly just like, maybe you'll, maybe you're telling the exact story as it happened, but you're stressing certain words mm-hmm. maybe in ways that are just kind of like, you know, well, he said this and you're rolling your eyes and you're just like, mm-hmm. like, well, you're just still bending it to your favor. So it's like that whole, like there, you know, there's what he said, what you said and the truth is somewhere there in the middle. Right. It's everybody's kind yeah. of playing, writing their own book, so to speak. Right. And the way that I think about it is it's, Thoughts are kind of like habits and sooner or later, if you don't do some maintenance on them, it's kind of like the person who who turns the light switch off 14 times before they go to bed, you know, check, they check the, the, the oven four times before they go to bed. Like, did I actually, and so thoughts can be the same exact, exact thing because you create these neural pathways where you like, you etch out a little path and then it's like, oh, well I got, this is a shortcut. I do this every time that this happens. And then. 
what happens is that those thoughts become a habit and a pattern and you have to break those in order because thinking something doesn't mean that it's true. And that was a big realization for me. So yeah, we all do this and things that we think, you know, superstitions, uh, Georgia. So our friends go back to will, we have a friend who is super, super, super superstitious. He's more than stitious. He's superstitious when it comes to Georgia football. And I, said something during a game i was like george is gonna win and he's just like don't say that you're saying it too early i'm like me saying this has no bearing on the universe right and i am not speaking this into existence and so we have these little habits that we create that can really become destructive if we let them and they these thoughts become start to have power over us and um the way that i was able to break it is um it was really stupid and it felt really stupid in the beginning. But anytime I had a negative thought, instead of engaging with it and trying to talk myself out of it, that's how they end up staying. They're like really bad relatives, right? The mm-hmm. more you talk them out of staying, the more they say, is you just say, Oh, I, that's a thought. And then the more you practice saying that, the more it becomes that it's, you know, it's kind of like, farting unexpectedly you don't have to right like sniff it to know that it's there you can just (laughs) say that oh i just thought that oh and if i have a thought that is really negative and it's just it's just testing the edges it's like your brain is like a toddler they will say something to try like bo will boo georgia sometimes they're just testing the boundaries and so if you have a thought that's testing the boundaries to see like if you latch onto it then your brain goes ah that's how I'm going to get you next time. Mm-hmm. If you can just learn to say, oh, that's a thought I have, or I, that's not something I really believe. If you get in the habit of starting saying that to yourself over days and weeks and months, you stop giving those thoughts power and they just kind of go away. It's really crazy how it works. That is, that is insane. Like just that whole, it's the whole mind over matter thing, right? Like, you're just yeah, like right. it's true. It's so weird. And, and you hear it all the time, but it's just in practice. It's, it's the actual doing of it, right? Like doing it is always the hardest part. If you can just remember to not just don't let it. And it's the thing, the problem that I had that I learned through going to therapy is I engage with thoughts and I would try to talk myself out of the thoughts. You know, everyone has intrusive thoughts. The thought like, um, I have the one that I have a lot is I'll be driving down the road and then my brain will go, what if you just, what if you just turn the wheel a little to the left and cross the center line, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not disturbing. It's just the thought your brain's just like, what it's, it's fear maintenance. It's like, what if I walked a little closer to that tiger? You know what I yeah. mean? It's the same instinct that we had when we were developing all of the stuff tens of thousands of years ago. It's the same instinct. So if you just laugh at it and go, <laughs> wow, then you can just move on. It's just a thing. It's just, uh, it's not a part of who you are. And I would always think like, am I, am I suicidal? If I'm thinking, no, that's just a random thought that occurs to you. Yeah. Yeah. So you just change directions. Well, and, and it's, it's hard to tell people, especially like, you know, when you're talking to maybe even older relatives, you're like, you realize the same shit that was going through your brain when you were like a toddler is still there. You've just become older and you know that that's dumb. So you check it every time it comes up. But those thoughts are always there. Like you're always going to be like, hmm, it's a long way down there. 
I wonder yeah. if, I, if could I tuck and roll? I might be able to tuck and roll, dude. I'm not gonna what lie. If I just stepped over, yeah, yeah, it's. I don't think it's, it's the defense mechanism. Yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, so I don't know if you heard this today, by the way, to to completely change the subject. Um, the global population has hit eight billion. Yeah. How crazy is that? Awesome. It's amazing. Is it? No, <laughs> it's not. Not it's at all. Terrible. And in, but you know what? You know up? what? Yeah. Can't control it. Can't control it. In can't con- control it. Look, man, the universe, the universe will handle it. The universe will figure something out. And like Um, clockwork, Russia sends missiles into Poland. Perfect. um, Max limit. (laughs) The earth is going to be fine. Yeah. I still adhere to George Carlin's maxim. The earth is going to be fine. It may shake us off like a bad case of the fleas, but once all the humans are gone, everything will grow back. Everything will be fine. The earth will exist. Long after humanity is extinct, the earth will still be here until yeah. it's gobbled up by the sun in four and a half billion years. Well, and I think that that's kind of my mechanism when, cause you brought up, you brought up politics earlier and how it's burning you out and how you don't want to, you know, Mm-mm. how it's like, don't it, engage. It, it can, you can not engage. Like I just, what I do is I just remind myself that like every, every generation, every, every set of people have had the thought of like, this is the end times we're living in the end times. And it's like, nah, right. Nah. It's, it's, there's so much hubris involved with thinking like that. That it's like, this isn't the end times. It's fine. Like it'll, yeah, it'll be all right. Like, or it will be. And there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Might as well write a book. Might as well hang out, you know, play some games, you know, and there's nothing. I, I am, I am oddly at peace with the end of the world. Chat with your pals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I'm doing fine, to quote R.E.M. Right, right. I mean, people, I, I am I am far more upset by the fact that they've found microplastics in breast milk than I am about the population. Yeah. Because that is some, like, end of the world stuff. And, you know, I I can't control that either. Mm-hmm. I, I used to be a warrior. Like we have to change. I just, I don't think anything's, I just, I am not a cynic, but I just don't think anything's going to change. I think either, um, like either it's going to end us or it's not. And we can't like, I hate it for my child and I don't want him to grow up in the end times of like the, uh, the dying embers of American democracy, but we may be there. I mean, we may, we may not like that. And that's, that's the thing is like, you can, you can give it a little bit of real estate, but you know, just not letting it sit there, you know, it's, it's tough, but yeah. man, um, I think it's far more likely that we are that, uh, I mean, and we'll, you know, America will still exist in 50 years, but it's not going to be like America. It's yeah. just going to be America. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what in my head, cause I, my kid's only, my kid's only 19 months, 20 months old. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you can, I, I, I worry a lot about like, am I doing enough? So, so just, just to go back to your book for a second, there is a, there is a moment in the book where, where Preston talks to Crawford about what it's like to be a dad. Cause he asks mm-hmm. him and it's so spot on. Like it's incredibly like his explanation is spot on. And, uh, I can't tell you how many times, like, I'm just like, 
are we like I'll, I'll just turn to the wife I'll be like are we doing the right thing like is mm-hmm. did we handle that the right way was that is that good like are we messing things up are we are we too hands-on are we not hands-on enough like what's happening mm-hmm. right now um, and everything that we do will be seen as bass backwards when yeah like when is an adult she's going to say dad why did you do it this way and you'll be like this was I mean, we had parents who, at least I had parents who um, didn't make me buckle my seatbelt and they smoked indoors and, um, you know, I sat in front of a TV for six hours a day because, you know, (laughs) that's easy. So we're going to find out in 10 years that TV is actually good for the brain and (laughs) video games um, are good for the brain and yeah, and vegetables are actually filled with uh, carcinogens and you should be eating red meat. So it's you know there's going to be something that so we there will be a reversal so you just have to live with it. you have to ride with it like we're all going to we're all going to fundamentally break our children but it's just hopefully in the right ways yeah i mean and, and i think of it more of like because like you know me and the wife like to watch a lot of uh true crime stuff you know and and you know just documentaries about cults mm-hmm. and stuff like that and we're, we'll just pause and be like so do we add this to the list of things that she has to watch when she gets older <laughs> to know to stay away? Like have I am a stalker seen, on Netflix or something. Have you ever seen the documentary Dear Zachary? No. Do I need to write this down? Don't. I'm writing it down. Don't do not. Don't. Okay. Don't. I'm not going to write it down. I just placed Don't. the, I just slightly placed the pen back down. <laughs> um, I mean, watch it. If you really want to feel feelings, mm. do you want to feel feelings as a parent? I mean, I think it I is have. a documentary. So it's a documentary. Um, the audience of the documentary is the child of a man who was killed by the kid's mom. Mm. And there's a twist. Okay. Uh, it's, it is, I don't, it is. So it is like the Serbian film of documentaries. Okay. You got to be hardcore to make it through that thing as a parent. Okay. There's another one recently that I watched that, um, I almost could not finish. And I'm trying to find the, the, it's on Netflix. Um, it's like the girl in the picture. That sounds right. That sounds familiar. I haven't seen it. That was all. That was similarly a one that that was similarly one that I just could not believe. And write that one down. That is also one that if you make it through. So, um, last podcast on the left. Mm -hmm. Have you ever listened to last podcast? I have my, uh, the wife Um, is a really big fan of theirs. Or I mean, so I don't know how they much have, this is now, but yeah, they have um, what they call gold star episodes, and those are especially brutal serial killer murder things. And it's like it's so icky that if you make it through, you're a gold star listener. Um, I would consider both of those documentaries gold star documentaries for parents. Like if you're a parent and can make it through those, it's like you're hardcore because it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's like a yeah watch them if you can oh man there's so much and there's so much stuff like that too um you know i i get i i'll get i tried i have to stay away from reddit 
on the regular. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll jump in and I'll see what's like. Also good for your mental health. Staying right. away from Reddit. Well, staying away from Twitter, staying away from all of it, really. Um, but like it's every now and then I just jump in to see what's going on, like real quick. Mm-hmm. Like what's what's trending like today, and I'll check it a couple days later. But I took the app off my phone and all that shit because it was yeah. You could just sit there it's for hours, for right? Um, and my favorite threads would be to get into the the one I can think of right now off the top of my head is like, what's the saddest song you ever heard, right? And it was just people just. T- talking about the saddest song they they know and what it's about and all that stuff and i was like not for me whoa <laughs> like not there's some it. yeah no there's some songs where you're just kind of like there's songs that i knew and i was like i had no idea that's what that was about i'm never gonna listen to that song again yeah like i can't because of the, the con like like knowing what the context is now i'm just kind of like that is terrible yeah, I used to think that I, I the, there's a Jason Isbell song called Elephant about a guy who's dating or no a girl who has terminal cancer and he's not dating her, dating her. And I I got to a point where I was like, all right, the song doesn't make me openly weep when I listen to it, so I must be good. But actually, it it breaks you a little more each time you listen to it. You're just mm. numb to the idea of like, ah, it's about dying from cancer, way too young, amazing. So. Yeah, I just stay away from that stuff now. If it's too sad, I'm just like, I don't have to do this to myself. I don't have to prove anything about my like resilience in the face of depression. Do you have to do the same? So I know you said you've curbed a lot of your music listening habits. Have you had to curb any of your movie and TV watching habits? Or does it affect you the same way? I mean, I, there isn't that much that's depressing in college football or Real Housewives. So those are the two main things that I watch. So, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, um, no, like horror movies, I'm able to disassociate. Like if it's too dep- like if it's too mordant and depressing, I don't watch it. But if it's like Terrifier is a perfectly reasonably violent and is so detached from reality. But movies like Hereditary really are hard. Mm, Hereditary is tough to watch, one. you know. Uh, midsummer, like those kinds of things. I'm just like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, if it's just too depressing, I'm just like, I don't need to see this. Yeah. The one I don't I, need to. Do, mm. The thing I always think about is six feet under HBO, six feet under. Yeah. I no. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's, no, thank you. That's where I learned that binging things is not always great. Well, I, um, I never watched it. Cause I was like, I, I have a too healthy a fear of death. And so I'm not going to watch a show about people dying. And then a friend was like, oh, my God, you have to watch. It's the best show ever. And so I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. I was really sick. And I started watching. I watched the first six episodes of the first season in the middle of the night by myself while I was sick. And I the next day I woke up like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like there's an episode in the first season where a, a uh, an older brother gets high and his little like baby brother finds a gun and kills himself with it. And I'm like, mm. ah, this is not for me. Yeah. It's not this. I don't, I don't need to know that that kind of stuff's real. I just, no, no, thanks. I'll yeah. just, I'll just meander over to this clown violently killing people over here because that's not anywhere near reality. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Like I can take that stuff, but like, I guess I learned like, it's not always great to bench things. Like I just, it was it's it, there's a reason why it was aired week to week because mm-hmm. it wasn't meant to be watched four and five episodes in a row because I would mm-hmm. absolutely come out of it being just like so depressed 
Like I, I get so affected by stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like my wife be like, you're not allowed to watch that shit anymore. <laughs> like yeah. you're not allowed to watch that anymore. And I'm just like, why? You- Bump that noise. No, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with the depressing things. But it also, it, it also kind of got me on the train of thinking like, even when it's something like a good show, like it's like, like a good show that's not depressing. Like it made me kind of, and, and it made me kind of just think about things in the fact of like, I try not to watch more than two in a sitting just because I want mm-hmm. to, I like to be able to process those things and and look forward to the next one rather than have that instant like, oh, yeah, what happens here? Let's just hit play again because it's there. We're going to take it and, and do that. So uh, it's kind of like when you're catching up on a show, right? Like you're like, so I'm going to so you maybe the third season's about to come on. And you're like, fine. Like, I think I did this with Breaking Bad. And I was like, all right. So I binge like the first two, uh, two seasons. And then like, now I'm caught a week to week. And at first I was like, this sucks, man. I want to know what happens. You were so used to that instant gratification of knowing mm-hmm. what the cliffhanger result was. And then like, after a while, I was kind of like, I realized I was having conversations with my friends about what happened on the episode and what we think is going to happen next. And kind of did similar stuff with game of Thrones with you and will. And like, you know, just being like, well, what does this mean? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like mm-hmm. it just, that excitement was really was really fun and i was just kind of like yeah i kind of like having that to think about because letting that soak in and be like man i'm still thinking about that episode from last night and then like the satisfaction of getting to watch it a couple of days later or a week later however you break it up right um yeah and that's the fundamental problem with netflix is the idea that they can have 10 shows come out and they're all instantly bingeable and you forget about them in 72 hours and so it's it's over like the the that's why things like, um, you know, HBO Max doing one episode a week, why that's still the high point because it's the high watermark of a release schedule because you don't, if you binge it, it's great in the moment, but it, there's also from a content marketing standpoint, it's all gone. You just yeah. gobbled it all up and there's no, there is no zeitgeist. There is no sort of public discussion about it. It's just like, oh man, did you see it? Yeah, that was crazy. The end. Yeah, I feel like every conversation is like when when you start it's like, oh, I've been watch uh, I've been watching uh, Breaking Bad. Let's say like, oh, me too. Where are you at? Like everyone's like, where are you at? Like wh- like because they like I don't want to ruin anything for you. Like there's absolutely that. And when you can binge stuff, like just just in browsing the internet, shit gets ruined for you because everybody wants to have that right. headline, right? They want to be the one. Like I've always felt like Uproxx really just wants to be the one that low key ruins something for you by the way they word it. And you're like, mm-hmm. I, fu- I had to start following them because like they would absolutely be like, well, you won't believe what happens this week on blah, blah, blah. Something changes forever for yada, yada or something like that. And you're like, mm-hmm. why do you have to do that? Like what what is the pleasure that you get out of the next day after something comes out being like, well, you're never going to see this character again. <laughs> you're like, why the fuck not? <laughs> I haven't gotten that right. far. I'm not sitting here. I'm not. I'm not a person that's paid to to write reviews on this and can binge everything in a night. I got a life. <laughs> I got a life. Damn it. Um. I did see today before we uh, before we get out of here. Um. I did see today that Ticketmaster is still getting fleeced hard by the public as it always has. They uh. They they're terrible. They are terrible, and we know this. But they uh. I guess. Taylor Swift has a new tour and uh, yeah. the site just broke and just froze completely. Yeah. Oh. I was on. Um, yeah. That is 
I was involved in that. Were you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I am not personally a Swifty, but uh, I am a Swifty by proxy because of my wife. And so, yeah, we're, we were trying to get tickets and the site completely <laughs> crashed. Where are you sitting, man? Uh, I'm not telling you, but it's, they're pretty good seats. They're really expensive. Did um, you, did you, you ended up getting some though? Mm-hmm. Good for you, but man. She added, but it's on Sunday night. It's like, I'm gonna have to take the next day off. Cause it's just going to be a late night. Just three yeah. hours of Taylor Swift. That's like I coming back earned, from a vacation. You need a buffer yeah. day before you go back to work. I am earning my marriage vows. <laughs> I bet the show will be good though. <laughs> it's great. I mean, she's great live. It's just, I'm not, it's just not my thing and that's fine, Yeah. but I love my wife a lot. Hey, proof's in the pudding there. That's right, buddy. That's awesome, man. Uh, you got anything you want folks to watch before we get out of here? You got any suggestions? I think I've, I think I've littered them through there. Uh, if uh, everyone deserves to give themselves something and if you don't have shutter, Shutter is an amazing $5 to spend each month. Five, whatever it is, it's worth it. I like Shutter. Uh, the new the new VHS compilation movie VHS 99 just came out last week and I didn't care for half of it, but the other half I was obsessed with. So I would say VHS 99 is a just yes, do it. The film how how many of these can I do? Uh, however many you want, man. The film Barbarian. Have you seen Barbarian? Yes. Watched it this past weekend. Okay. That, that, that. Loved it. That movie. Um, Any movie that like, that, that ends and my wife just exclaims, what the fuck? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I like it. There are so few films that truly surprise you. And I'm not a fan of all the twists in that movie, but I am a fan of filmmakers taking a huge risk with something that could have been just like a mealy mouth halfway horror movie. Yeah. And I love, I love the chances that they took with that film. The movie it's been out for a long time now, but if you haven't seen men. Oh, Oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen it yet though. Uh, it's the, God, I don't remember the director's name, but the guy who directed, um, uh, God, her, I can't remember the movie he made about the AI girlfriend. Uh, not Demo Gleason. Uh, it's I am I am completely blanking on. But Men is a just speaking of movies that take a lot of chances and aren't for everyone. I had to have an old man moment in the theater because there were some teenagers. Oh, no. Who were talking and giggling. And I had to yell like, would you just be quiet? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, buddy. But then they were quiet. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right, buddy. Uh, you saying Alex Garland? Alex Garland. Yeah. Boom. He directed. What was the movie? Can You're on there. What movie did he direct several years ago? It had, I think, Damal Gleason and uh, Oscar Isaac in it. And it was about an AI girlfriend. Anyway. Oh, Ex Machina? Ex Machina. There you go. Yeah. And Men is a great, great film. It is really thought-provoking and disturbing. It's about a girl who goes to a... She rents a cabin to get over the suicide of her husband. Mm. And as she's there, a small cottage in England, every man that she encounters is played by the same actor. 
okay. in different roles. And it's, it is a, uh, a really pointed commentary about the nature of toxic mas- masculinity, and it is just spot on. Yeah. And I, I love it. I love that movie. Yeah, that's, so that's been that's, on my list a for a minute. Yeah, that's, that one's been on my list for a minute. Uh, Barbarian, of course, I agree with 100%. If you are a horror, even thriller fan, like I, I feel yeah. it leans more thriller in, in most yeah, of it. it's not really a know? horror movie. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Also, Terrifier 2, if you're a horror fan, just if you haven't watched it, it's worth watching because it's so strange and bizarre. And it's not a, I don't think it's a good movie but it delivers in a lot of ways. Okay. Terrifier too. I, I've had a few friends that are like, I loved it. And I was like, well, I need to go see it, I guess. Um, it's so, long. It does not need to be two hours and 20 minutes. It is not a two hour and 20 minute film. Oof, that is a tall order. <laughs> it needs to be 90 minutes on the dot. And it adds an extra, there is a subplot and an extra few scenes that don't need to be there, but this they just crammed as much as they could into the movie. And it's, whatever oh one more okay one more thing sure and this is a really dated thing but i haven't been on a podcast to talk about it the show on netflix midnight mass did you ever watch that yes i did um that that's something that i watched over the summer and just absolutely loved every moment of it a lot of people hated it but i find the sort of provocative like slowness of it i love a just good slow broiling and the performance from the 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 preacher i can't remember who it was but the priest mm-hmm. in that was just the best performance of the year and um yeah he was excellent not, he was he was my uh, favorite part of the whole series and is it zachary levi uh the, the the kid who was um saracen from friday night lights he was in it and just in a really offbeat role loved it zach gilford zach Glif- Zach gilford yeah zach not gilford. zachary levi zach gilford yeah just so good love it yeah yeah so, ha- that's awesome hamish Linklater was uh father paul yes. will and he just so destroyed just Killed it. destroyed it so awesome just, just, that it's worth watching purely for his performance and there is a twist about five episodes in that you do not see coming and then it's like oh oh yeah just turns into something else completely yeah one thousand percent and you're just like you're just like Love it. this is the best way to tell the story thank you <laughs> um so, i'm mike flanagan big fan yeah awesome stuff awesome stuff um well great man I, i've got a i've got a nice little list from you now dragged dragged across concrete yes bone tomahawk VHS 99 terrifier two and men the other stuff I've seen it. And then there's these two gold star documentaries, documentaries. that I don't know if I can do, but we'll see. <laughs> we should do a watch along where we watch it and then you just react to everything that happens in it and, um, see if you make it through it with dry eyes. Well, I guarantee you cannot. I, I know I can't. I know I can't. And I just just based off your your vague, your vague descriptions. I know that the wife will not watch them. So, yeah, no <laughs> mother should be forced to. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a rough one. Um, you should only make her watch it if she loses like a bet. Oh, God. Even then, I would probably still feel terrible. You know, I play. Did you ever play the uh, the uh, what's the, frick, the Outlast games? Outlast? Yeah. Yes. Outlast 2. Played it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not all the way through, I don't think, actually. Yeah, there's definitely a childbirth moment in that uh, in that mm-hmm. game that I didn't know was there, and we were doing a scare mm-hmm. the wife night on the stream, 
And I, she was like, what are you, what are you making me watch you play? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. She was pregnant. She was pregnant at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was not um, a good I went to say, Yeah. Thankfully I didn't make, uh, Kate, Kate was seven months pregnant when the uh, when Mother came out, the Aronofsky movie. Mm. Have you seen Mother? I don't it's believe the allegory I have. about the Bible. Okay, <laughs> don't make don't make Krista watch that. But I saw it and I was like, thank God I did not make Kate watch this with me because it it is. I mean, it's a wild movie. I don't know that I like the movie, but I love it. If that makes any sense, because it's just so wild. Yeah. Hmm. I need to watch it. Like I, I love watching stuff like that. Like that some some of that stuff doesn't it's really bother me. So I mean, I might I might give these gold star ones a a go. Yeah, I might give them a go. I want you should you have you need to pot you need to like do like a podcast about it. Like you need to watch it and then just be, react as things happen. It's pretty epic. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll okay. put it into the think should. bank for sure. Yeah. For sure. Should. Um, guys, if you want to follow uh, T. Blake Braddy, it's at Blake Braddy on Twitter while Twitter is still a, a structure that stands. I still think about you when I think about Twitter because like we did the whole episode where we said it's not a real place. There's, no, there's nothing no. real about it. It's not real. No, go. It's just not real. Go away. It's not real. <laughs> it's not real. It's not. Not not one bit. But if you want to follow him there, it's at Blake Braddy. You can talk some college sports with him. You yeah, can talk books you- with him. Yeah. Or yeah. If you like Georgia football, you'll like my Twitter feed or horror. It, I have one of the most idiosyncratic feeds. It's it's horror movies and college football. And I'm sure it confuses both audiences. hundred percent. It's great. It's great though. You got your own little corner, right? Your own little yeah. corner. It's it's wonderful. my own corner of hell. Um, I would highly suggest you check out his books. I'll have links to, uh, to his Amazon page in the description of the video and the description of the podcast. Uh, not dark yet is the latest and I loved it. Uh, the Rolson McCain series, amazing suicide blondes, like just check it all out. But I, but if you just want to, if you want to start light, if you want to start, if you just want to start with something that's, that's just one thing that you can read start with not dark yet, I think it'd be a great place to start. It's, it's a really, really good book. Very good book. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. No, I, I, I thought you were going out. Yeah, no, it's I, fine. I, I'm... It's terrifying. Yeah. I, I recently found out that um, the total sum of the pages in the Ross McCain series is almost 1600. <sighs> man, that's a lot, dude. That's a lot of writing. Uh-huh. Them's a lot of words, man. Them's it is a lot of words. I, I kind of went through uh, with Dirt Merchant. I it's a seven hundred almost a seven hundred page book. I was writing a James Elroy novel, and that's where most people hit hit a brick. They're like, I can't do a seven hundred page book. So <laughs> most my read through at the first two books, the read through is like seventy percent, and then book three it like plummets because no one makes it through book three. No one makes it through. Well, it's a gold star book. It's a gold star book, and this is a gold star guest right here. T. Blake Braddy, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you. Guys, if you want to follow me, it's at Lopez Radio on all the social medias. I also do Twitch. Uh, just look up my Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Lopez Radio. And uh, rate, review, subscribe. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. <laughs>